Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is episode 57, The Future is Plastics, in which I discuss some of the new plastics invented in the 1950s. Thanks to those who already support this podcast. Support the continuation of this podcast at Patreon. The website is www.patreon.com forward slash the history of chemistry. With the runaway success of commercial polymers after World War II, corporations continued to explore how to put together various monomers into new polymer chains to see what sorts of interesting and, above all, useful properties they might have. Our first stop is fibers made of carbon. The grandfather of carbonized fibers is the English scientist Joseph Swan. While nearly all Americans think that Thomas Edison invented the incandescent lamp, Swan gains a large portion of the credit. His first attempt in 1860 was to place a carbonized paper strip into a glass bulb with the air removed. Originally, he considered a platinum wire, but the expense would be too high, so carbonized paper was clearly a lot cheaper. The technology of the day, unfortunately, conspired against him. Vacuum pumps were of poor quality, so the evacuated glass bulb wasn't so evacuated. Electrical power sources weren't up to the task either. The result was a light bulb that failed after a very short time. Both he and Edison returned to the project almost identical, nearly two decades later when Victorian technology finally caught up to what they needed. We shift forward nearly a century to World War II. The Union Carbide Company was looking for a way to change from more expensive tungsten filaments in vacuum tubes and tried to carbonize rayon, which we encountered a while back as a nitrocellulose fiber from the late 19th century. Government funding for this idea ended with the end of the war. But interest in carbonized fibers went on. For example, an American firm, Barnabé Cheney, began marketing carbonized fiber mats and rope-like threads in 1957, whose uses included insulation from high temperatures and filters for corrosive substances. Union Carbide itself, in 1958, created a cloth from these carbonized rayon fibers and offered it as an insulation on rocket heat shields for re-entry. But in that year, too, an American physicist, Roger Bacon, was doing experiments at Union Carbide to find the triple point of carbon. This is the temperature and pressure where solid, liquid, and gas forms exist in equilibrium with each other. Water's triple point is 0.01 degrees Celsius at the low pressure of 0.006 atmospheres. The triple point of carbon is still imperfectly understood, but even in the 1950s, scientists knew that it had to be really hot. Bacon's work on the triple point found for carbon, the pressure was around 100 atmospheres, 
and 3,600 degrees Celsius. So, Bacon's experiment was done in a carbon arc at low pressures, with voltage applied to the electrodes of the arc. While running the experiment, Bacon saw filaments growing on the negative electrode. Analysis showed graphite whiskers embedded in the soot-like deposit, which were flexible, up to three centimeters long and up to five micrometers in diameter. After a year of experiments on these products, he published a report in the Journal of Applied Physics in February 1960. What he found was tiny scrolls of carbon sheets rolled up. They weren't individual crystals, but acted like crystals along the length of the filament. The mechanical properties of these carbon filaments, though, were fascinating. Tensile strength, the stress that an object can take before being pulled apart, was 19,600 megapascals, compared with steel, which can only be 2,000 megapascals. Elastic modulus. Or how much the object resists being permanently deformed when pulled was 700 gigapascals, compared with steel up to 200 gigapascals. So, in many ways, these carbon filaments were stronger than steel. Bacon patented his scheme. We will likely have more to say about carbon fibers in future episodes, particularly for composite materials. But needless to say, they became quite important in the materials world in the later 20th century. Another important milestone in polymers was the development of polyurethanes in the early 1950s. A polyurethane is specified in terms of the link between the monomers. Which, in this case, is a urethane link, also called a carbamate link, NHC double bonded to OO. As such, a polyurethane can be one of a wide range of materials. The first polyurethane was created in January 1937 by German chemist Otto Bayer, who applied for a patent that year. The next year, Heinrich Rinke. Invented a polymer from octamethylene diisocyanate plus one four butane diol, and he coined the term polyurethane. Americans William Hanford and Donald Holmes at Dupont uncovered the general chemical process for polyurethanes in 1942, which included a fast reaction, unlike the earlier German versions that needed a significant curing time. Initially. Researchers looked at fibers and flexible foams, as well as first used to a degree as an aircraft coating during the war. Commercial polyisocyanates were first marketed in 1952 by B. F. Goodrich in the USA and Bayer in Germany. Commercial foam from polyurethane was sold two years later, mostly as insulation. In 1956, flexible foams were sold. Polyethers first came out in 1956. Polyalkylene glycols were first introduced by the behemoth Dupont the next year. Adhesive polyurethanes started to be used in the late 1950s as a moldable polymer. Among the uses polyurethane has include solid wheels on shopping carts and skateboards, 
automobile dashboards and seats, heart valves, as well as varnish. Even products such as tennis racket grips, watch bands, and Gorilla Glue are polyurethanes. Large sports area roofs, such as the original Louisiana Superdome, have been made of polyurethane. Next, we turn to the polymer known as a polyimide. An imide group is a pair of carbon atoms, each with a double-bonded oxygen hanging off, connected by a nitrogen atom, and maybe some kind of organic group hanging off of the nitrogen. Now, the first polyimide was discovered back in 1908 by Marston Bogert and Romer Renshaw at Columbia University. It took, however, 45 years for technical advances to prove polyimides to be useful. Walter Evans and Ivan Robinson at Dupont patented in the early 1950s some new versions of this polymer. Perhaps the most famous brand of this polymer is the Dupont version Capton, which has a wide range of useful temperatures from ultra cold up to 400 degrees Celsius. One of its dramatic uses is as an insulating film coated with aluminum on one side. Which became a protective blanket for the Apollo lunar lander. Another polymer becoming commercialized in the 1950s was polyvinyl alcohol, or PVOH. An alternative abbreviation is PVA. The OH is the alcohol group in chemistry. Originally discovered in 1924 by Germans Willy Hermann and Wolfram Heinel, it was introduced into the USA just before World War II. Hermann and Heinel added a base to an alcohol solution containing polyvinyl acetate, which resulted in an off-white material. They obtained a patent in 1925 for this product. This particular polymeric material is a copolymer, that is, two monomers polymerized together, of vinyl alcohol and vinyl acetate. Overall properties of PVOH vary depending on how much of each monomer is present. PVOH was considered as a possible fiber material in Japan in the late 1930s, but interrupted as much was by World War II. Kurorai resumed research in 1948 on PVOH fibers and was able to make samples in 1949, displayed at the Mitsukoshi department store in Tokyo. It was commercialized in Japan in 1950 by the firm Kurorai under the trade name Kuralon. Another term is Vinylon. Its main strengths are weathering ability and chemical resistance. Therefore, it is often used for ropes. Nets, threads, and textiles, agricultural cheesecloth for seedlings, reinforcement for automotive hoses and belts, reinforcement for motorcycle helmets, and even construction materials. PVA fibers have been used for architectural concrete reinforcing. There is a downside to using PVA fibers in other materials. The fibers often clump together. And special proprietary dispersing chemicals often are necessary to prevent this clumping. 
I should mention that polyvinyl alcohol is also approved for food and medical uses. It can be made into a film to coat tablets, protecting from oxygen. It's used in frozen yogurts with mix-ins, chocolates, mixtures of nuts and fruits, mixtures of nuts and fruits, and protects these items from degradation. PVA is also used to glue porous items like paper, cloth, and wood. Another copolymer is the resin made of styrene and acrylonitrile monomers. The polymer has the stiffness and transparency of polystyrene, plus heat resistance and strength of polyacrylonitrile. Generally, it is made with 70% styrene monomer and 30% acrylonitrile monomer. The polymer was introduced in the 1950s and is used for kitchen utensils, furniture, and car parts. To improve its properties even further, a variant with butadiene rubber, acrylonitrile butadiene styrene, or ABS, was patented in 1948. The Borg Warner Corporation began commercializing and selling it in 1954. Engineers view ABS as often a good substitute for metal parts. This copolymer of three monomers is still mostly styrene. Some acrylonitrile and a bit of butadiene for spice. Plastic musical instruments like clarinets, oboes, and recorders are often made of ABS. The world-famous Lego blocks from Denmark are made from ABS plastic since 1958. Often, 3D printers use ABS filaments for their structural material. For our next polymer, we go back to Dupont to their textiles fibers department, founded in 1952. The firm saw women as an important group of customers because of their perceived interest in hosiery, stockings, and underwear. At the time, women's girdles were made of rubber, and Dupont wanted a synthetic elastic material instead. The inherent defects of latex rubber. Notably damaged by sunlight, sweat, skin oils, plus slowly losing its elasticity with time, created a demand for a better textile fiber. After nearly ten years of work, Dupont chemist Joseph Shivers came up with a fiber that would survive higher temperatures. Yet another copolymer of polyethers and polyureas in 1958. Dupont's working name was Fiber K. And it could stretch five times its original length. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. The generic term for this fiber came to be an anagram of the word expands. That is spandex. 
DuPont's trade name for their spandex fibers was Lycra, apparently generated randomly by the new digital computers taking over businesses. In Europe, the popular term for spandex is elastane. Yet another series of polymer, derivatives of bisphenol A, was commercialized in the 1950s. The monomer itself was first reported in 1891 by Russian chemist Alexander Dianin, who was interested in the phenol molecule, a benzene ring with an OH group stuck to it. He found that two phenol molecules plus acetone result in bisphenol A, which is two phenols linked by a carbon atom. The evil conglomerate, I.G. Farben, researched polymers of bisphenol A in 1934, along with companies in Switzerland and America. These developments led to epoxy resins, but also led to research after World War II at Bayer in Germany and General Electric in the USA, most famously to polycarbonate plastic materials. German chemist Hermann Schnell, working at Bayer, simultaneously with Daniel Fox at GE, both invented polycarbonate in 1953. Bayer used the trade name Macrolon for its polycarbonate. Because of the almost simultaneous attempt to patent the same chemical, GE and Bayer agreed that whichever company won priority of the invention would license the other company to use it. Priority was eventually ruled in Bayer's favor. Then Bayer granted GE a license, and GE used the trade name Lexan in 1960. Marketing of polycarbonates began in 1958. Through the 1960s, the original formulation had an amber tint, but by 1970, an improved version without residual impurities was created to be colorless. Polycarbonates are tough and moldable, so have a variety of uses. It can be used as an insulator in electronics, for construction purposes like roofing sheets and dome lights, in 3D printing, for discs as a data storage medium like CDs and Blu rays. Bullet resistant windows in cars can be made from polycarbonate. Many lenses in eyeglasses are made from this material. And a variety of other consumer products, such as cell phone cases, are manufactured from polycarbonate. Interestingly, polycarbonate was actually discovered by German chemist Alfred Einhorn back in 1898, but several decades of research for practical scaling up to production proved fruitless. Carruthers at DuPont also stumbled upon polycarbonate in 1928. But his version used a hydrocarbon backbone instead of one based on benzene rings, so the material characteristics of Carruthers polycarbonate were not optimal, and the material was abandoned by 1930. One of Einhorn's more famous bits of research was inventing and patenting the anesthetic Novocaine, a safer and non addictive alternative to the then popular cocaine. Another polymer that was marketed starting in the 1950s was polyoxymethylene, or polyacetal. The granddaddy of modern polymer science, 
Hermann Staudinger himself, discovered this macromolecule during the 1920s, considering it a model compound for natural cellulose. But the compound was not stable under heat and would depolymerize, that is, decompose back into the small molecule formaldehyde, so was never commercialized. In 1952, DuPont researchers returned to this unstable polyacetal and capped the monomer with a protective group. This stabilized the polymer, and DuPont patented this version in 1956. The product was first sold in January 1960. The compound was given the trade name Delrin. Because polyacetal has low friction and high stiffness, it's now used in eyeglass frames, ball bearings, knife handles, automotive electrical parts, insulin pens, connects, construction toys, zippers, even guitar picks. I've seen articles noting that Delrin has a similar musical resonance to wood, so has been made into cheaper flutes imitating the sound of wooden ones. The final 1950s polymeric material we discuss in this episode is the fluoroelastomer, also termed FKM polymer. DuPont worked on improved synthetic rubbers in the 1940s and 1950s, finally commercialized in the late 1950s. These use monomers of fluorocarbons, particularly tetrafluoroethylene, C2F4, hexafluoropropylene, C3F6, and difluoroethylene, C2F2H2, in which the two fluorine atoms are on one of the carbons. They exhibit extra chemical resistance to, for example, oxygen, heat, and ozone, all of which are nasty to rubber. They also don't swell up when exposed to oil, solvents with chlorine atoms, and hydrocarbon fuels. DuPont marketed the first version, Viton, in 1957, and a terpolymer, a combination of all three of these monomers, a couple of years later. Though they are more expensive because of the fluorine and its processing, they are often used in difficult operating conditions, such as gaskets and O-rings in aerospace and industry, and some types of safety gloves. They do have downsides, such as they are attacked by steam and get hard at not particularly low temperatures. Perhaps you've begun to see how polymers by the 1950s also began to be a part of the nascent area called material science for it is their commercial properties that ultimately become the valuable part of their existence. Do you want squishy polymer foams? Do you want a solid hard material? Do you want it resistant to oil or water? Do you want it safe for use with food? Do you want it to withstand high heat and temperature in industrial machinery? Do you want it colored, opaque, or transparent? By the end of the 1950s, chemical engineers had a variety of polymers from which to choose particular properties for the object they needed to make. In our next episode, we return to observations 
that lead almost up to the creation of environmental chemistry. Until then, brave the elements. Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast.